Hello and welcome to the podcast for the January 2008 issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. I'm Richard Lane and I'm here with TLID editor John McConnell to discuss some highlights from this month's issue. John, let's start with a review looking at flu vaccination in pregnancy. What struck me when I had a quick look at this is the paucity of data and the variation in policies in different countries as to whether to vaccinate and when to vaccinate. Yes, there is considerable differences between uh, national recommendations. And I think that's probably because the data on efficacy and safety of the flu vaccine in pregnant women are quite limited. And of course, there's a, a natural reluctance to give any sort of drug to pregnant women because by and large, these drugs aren't tested out in, in pregnant uh, in pregnant women. So there may be some unforeseen consequences and then hence are a, a reluctance to give the vaccine. And how does influencer actually affect pregnant women and the unborn child? Why are they at increased risk? From the evidence in the review, it's not apparent that uh, the pregnant women are particularly at increased risk. But just as in non-pregnant people, flu does cause an excess in mortality and considerable increase in hospital visits. But there is some evidence that um, in hospitalised pregnant women, they are more likely to have a preterm delivery for there to be fetal distress and uh, to, for them to require a cesarean uh, section. I think the point is that they're, they're just as vulnerable as, as the rest of us and therefore they probably deserve to be vaccinated in the same way as that um, the rest of us do. And do you think there's enough evidence in this review to actually, if you like, form a common policy so that you know, some countries vaccinate in the first trimester, others are saying in the second or third, others yeah. not at all. Do, do, do we have enough evidence? Uh, I, well, I think the authors have managed to collate enough data to come up with a, a coherent policy. What they say is that there really is very little evidence of adverse events relating to vaccinating pregnant women and that healthy pregnant women should be vaccinated in the second and, and third trimester. And those who have other comorbidities that um, might make them particularly vulnerable to flu, they could be vaccinated in any trimester. And they do say that in the pandemic flu situation, then women should be vaccinated in any trimester of their pregnancy. Thanks, John. And moving on, another review. This is looking at infections caused by gram-positive bacteria and a particular focus on an antibiotic called linazolid. First of all, John, can you just remind us of what type of infections are caused by gram-positive bacteria? Well, the classic gram-positive infections are staphylococcal and streptococcal infections. So, for example, staph aureus causes boils and wound infections, and the streptococci cause respiratory infections, pneumonia, uh, bloodstream infections. And hitherto, what type of antibiotics have been used to counteract these types of uh, bacteria? Well, typically, uh, treatment has been with uh, penicillins, with cephalosporins, and they're uh, two classes of drugs which are known as beta-lactams, and with uh, glycopeptide antibiotics such as vancomycin. And where has linazolid, sorry, how has linazolid sort of come into the reckoning here? It seems like it's quite a fashionable antibiotic, but the fact that these authors, and we'll talk about the meta-analysis they've done in a minute, uh, have actually done this implies that there hasn't been enough research out in randomised trials for us to really know how effective it is. I'm not quite sure that's true. There's been lots of randomised trials with linazolid, but what you really want to look at when you're doing a meta-analysis is the direction of the and the magnitude of the effect. So the authors have put together 12 randomised trials involving over 6,000 patients to see if they can determine whether linazolid is superior to 
the beta-lactams or the glycopeptides for treatment of gram-positive infections. And the real issue here is that uh, gram-positive infections have become increasingly resistant to the traditional antibiotics, to the beta-lactams, and there's even some resistance to the glycopeptides. So we do need alternative antibiotics if we're going to continue to treat successfully these potentially life-threatening infections. And what were the results of this meta-analysis? How does linazolid fare? Linazolid fares pretty well. Um, it's not vastly superior to the to the traditional antibiotics. So it was found to be more effective with respect to treatment success overall, and particularly so in patients with bacteremia and skin and soft tissue infections. However, the mortality was uh, pretty much the same in the linazolid and the comparator groups. Linazolid was not superior for the for the treatment of pneumonia. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That was one thing that stuck out, really. The jury's still out, really, as far as uh, nosocomial pneumonia is concerned, or is it actually saying it shouldn't be used in that setting at all? No, I don't think it's saying it, it shouldn't be used. I think the where linazolid um, should be used, and has been used up until now, is in situations where patients are infected with, with hard-to-treat infections with antibiotic-resistant organisms. The big advantage of using linazolid over some of the newer antibiotics is that it can be given orally. So naturally, if the, a drug company has invested a lot of money into producing a new antibiotic, they want it to be used as widely as possible. However, the, um, uh, the, the medical community as a whole, I think, would rather see the, the use of linazolid restricted so that it doesn't become yet another one of those antibiotics for which resistance develops and it's no longer useful. So you have this kind of this tension between uh, w- what is actually a, a very effective antibiotic and the need not to overuse it so that it doesn't, uh, so it doesn't become useless. And finally, John, an interesting review looking at infection in the paediatric setting. And this is interesting because, of course, in the paediatric environment, infections often cause of infection quite different to the adult population. This is a, v- a very substantial review of particularly of infection control in, in paediatrics. So it's, it's really looking at the sort of hospital health healthcare setting. Children, of course, very particularly very small children, they have an undeveloped immune system and that's because they've not been exposed to natural infection, they've, they've not been vaccinated. It tends to be an awful lot of respiratory infections compared with um, older people. So there are some different factors to consider in paediatric infection control. And some examples of those risk factors, John? Well, for example, children do tend to be in extremely close contact with each other, much more so than than adults. In hospital, there's a lot of interaction between, quite intimate interaction between children and their visitors. You know, as children are, small children are, there's uncontrolled fluids and, and bodily secretions. So there are some, there are some risks for infection control, which are, which are different from uh, those in adults. It actually talks about the possibility of zoonotic infection as well from animals. Donkeys. <laughs> I, was, I, lo- I always laugh when I read that. The authors of this review are from Switzerland, and it's quite possible that pets quite commonly visit their child owners in, in hospitals in Switzerland. I, I honestly don't know, but they do talk about that as a potential risk factor in situations where children might be visited in, in hospital by pets. Laughing aside, clearly, that you know, you've, you've indicated these different risk situations mm-hmm. for the, for the paediatric setting. What ca- I mean, we know about that, and I suppose it's almost sort of obvious in a way, but you know, in terms of practical measures, what, what can actually be done to, well, to, to reduce the risk? Well, of course, funnily enough, the practical measures are probably not that different from what you would do in an adult setting. So, for example, hand hygiene is the absolute basic, is the, is the basis uh, of all good um, in, infection control. So hands need to be cleaned, or you, you need to use alcohol hand rub 
to uh, prevent the spread of disease. Vaccination is very important. These days, some parents are actually quite resistant to having their children vaccinated. In those situations, 